Hey, folks, Zach Ostrom here, Iowa Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Tuesday, April 25th. It is Mind Your Banners for Tuesday, April 25th. Uh, the podcast has been on a bit of a break. Forgive us. Um, there has been some going on. There has also been a lot of not much going on, which is tends to be what happens this time of year. Um, and there is, uh, needless to say, everyone needed a bit of a recovery period. But we are back, and uh, I'm with... Crimson Cast's Galen Clavio, who is both uh, joining and hosting the physical space and, for this podcast. And producing. And and just looking good. <laughs> just um, trying to be all things to all people. And we're just kind of, I guess, Galen, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about where Indiana is kind of with regard to the portal. We always had a pretty good idea the portal was going to be central to sort of the roster churn this offseason in a way that it never was last offseason for Indiana. Um but also just kind of talking more widely about how it feels like the portal has changed this period of the calendar. Um, we'll start with where Indiana is. A um, couple players out. Jordan Geronimo still in the recruitment process. Tamar Bates going to Missouri. A couple players in. Kalel Ware, uh, the one-time top 10 prospect from Oregon. Peyton Sparks, who was a very consistently productive uh, forward, um, if a little bit smaller, at Ball State. And then... A couple swings and misses. Uh, Chris Ledlam was a player that Indiana clearly prioritized heavily, had him on campus, I think also had an in-home visit with him. Um, he picked Tennessee when there was at least some perception that Indiana might be the front runner. Indiana also, I think, um, tried hard to kick the tires on Dalton Connect. He wound up going to Tennessee. There were some links to Cormac Ryan. He, he's going to North Carolina. Um, it's fair to say it has been an incomplete spring for Indiana, though it's worth saying not a um, a completely sort of, I don't know, unproductive one, I guess. Yeah, I mean – a lot of things that you can point to and say this is good news. A lot of things you can point to and say, well, that could have gone better. And look, I think you have to start off with the successes. You know, signing Khalil Ware, that's a big get. That was, you know, somewhere in the top three or four players in the entire early part of the portal. And Indiana was able to get him and he was certainly looking at other top name schools, including Alabama, who was number one for most of the year. Peyton Sparks, I think, is a really good depth pickup. And we talked about that a little bit on Crimson Cast. You know, that's a guy who you could probably plug into a couple different spots. It's also, I think, a nod to the reality, which I think I've heard like Matt Painter talk about before, which is that it's hard to win in the Big Ten to the point where you're in contention for a good spot in the NCAA tournament if you don't have the roster to do that. And so, as we've seen, the rosters that work in the NCAA tournament and the rosters that work in the Big Ten aren't necessarily the same types of people. And so in this case, I think it's a good start for Indiana. It's certainly not the end of things. I do kind of wonder as we move forward, you know, clearly Ledlam and Connect would have been nice pieces to add and that would have just solved everything. I am curious as Indiana looks at this next crop of people in the portal, and there's going to be more. I mean, there's people that are they're committed to the NBA draft, but they're not completely committed. They're in the portal you know, as well, and they might go back to their original schools, but they might not. Who does Indiana like out of that group? Because there's some pretty talented players in that group as well who might be a little bit older and might fit into a more veteran setup for Indiana. I'm also curious, and I'd be interested in your take on this, having you know been the the, the the insider for the whole season. 
how does Indiana value the players they have coming back? I mean, it felt like to some degree the online fan base got really drilled in on this idea that, well, we're going to go get three starters in the portal. You know, you, you've got Trey Galloway coming back. You've got C.J. Gunn, who didn't do a whole lot this year. You've got, uh, you know, Caleb Banks, Caleb Banks who shows some flashing. someone who, yeah. And so, you know, it's almost like if you could get people who were clearly demonstrably better than those folks and you ignore the development curve that those guys are going to have between their freshman and sophomore or, or junior and senior years in the case of Galloway, then that's one thing. But if you're going to take those players into account – do you want to rush out and have those players sit another season behind somebody else? Or, or do you look at them and say, actually, we think C.J. Gunn at, at 6'6", a guy who shot really well in high school, we, we think that he can settle down and be a regular contributor uh, in this next season. So I am kind of curious, like, do their value judgments of their own players enter into the equation more as your maybe first choices in the portal don't come through? Yeah, I think – if, first of all, let me let me preface this by saying Indiana's got three open scholarships. They need more players. They do. Wherever, whatever their sort of you know preferred path forward is here, it's got to include adding at least a couple players just for depth. If nothing else, you can't have yeah you know ten scholarship players. That's not enough. Um, particularly when you consider. You know, first of all, that's assuming Xavier Johnson gets his waiver. Um, Ja'Kai Newton missed a lot of his senior season in high school with an injury, so you, you can't necessarily count on him to just come in fully firing in June, although it seems like he's very much on track to be back toward full strength for a lot of the summer. Um, I think having said that, it, this kind of goes both ways. Um, on the one hand, you know, Indiana clearly wanted Chris Ledlam. I feel pretty comfortable saying Indiana would have been, had he shown enough reciprocal interest, would have prioritized Dalton Connect. So there's an extent to which you kind of have to take Indiana at its at its word and or its action, I guess, action as word, and say Indiana wanted players for some of those positions. Sure. So Indiana clearly didn't just say, oh, we're fine, we don't need this, you know, set it, you know, set it to one side. Um, having said that, it is hard to peg those guys for a couple reasons. One is just by the nature of the way the season went, and, you know, part of this is maybe those players not being ready to contribute, but part of it is also just that Mike Woodson had a very experienced team that he kind of pared down his rotation by the end of the year, and that was just what he was comfortable giving uh, or, 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 or leaning onto, leaning into by, you know, late February and March. We didn't see enough of those guys, I think, to make firm judgments on, you know, kind of what their what their net their obvious next steps are. That's part of it. The other part of it is wanting a better sense for what Woodson wants, or or, or gaining a better sense for what Woodson wants. You know, there's a I can make you a credible case, for example, that like the best case. You know, I I have referenced this a lot. This. Um, this this off season, this last month or so since the season ended, that as much as people want to talk about Mike Woodson's tenure with the Knicks as it relates to or as it compares to what he will do building rosters at Indiana, certainly building rosters in sort of a post Drake Jackson Davis era where he is not maybe inclined he doesn't have a player who's so good that he's inclined to simply build around him not around what Woodson has in his mind as the best vision for his, his roster going forward and that's not a slight on Jackson Davis it's just that he inherited 
a certain team. Right. And for a couple of years, because of the strengths of that group, he built to those strengths and he, he coached to those strengths. Now he has to sort of, you know, not start over completely, but the, the slate is a lot more blank and he's allowed to write on it what he wants. What does that look like? I have said multiple times, I think his time with the Hawks is a lot more comparable because he essentially was, you know, a core component of building that roster up from almost nothing. The Hawks tore everything apart after 2003 or 2004. They hired Mike Woodson in 2005. You know, that was just a complete and total, like, just just an utter teardown and rebuild job. Um. I can make you a case that on the college version of Mike Woodson's Hawks team, something resembling the best version of Caleb Banks is as much of a two as he is a four. Not necessarily all the time, but sometimes. And in particular, if certainly as much a three as he is a four, um, if you've got Malik Renew and Kalel Ware and Peyton Sparks – then a player like Caleb Banks that can be more versatile, that can score a little bit more away from the rim, that's a little bit more active, a little bit more athletic, maybe a lot more athletic, depending on, you know, I, I think I think we saw the potential for that. I mean, like, you know, he actually looked a lot less out of place than some of his teammates in that game against Miami in the round of 32, and I know he had limited minutes. Right. And listen, I'm not saying Indiana would have won the game if he played more. Um, he's still very raw. He's still very undeveloped, or he still has a lot of developing to do. But um, you can see a lot of the building blocks there. And one thing I, I talked about multiple times with Caleb Banks, um, when you have freshmen that you feel like can't play, you know, 25, 28 minutes a night, and you have to sort of confine their minutes because they're still learning, they're still growing, whether it's physically, technically, whatever, usually – those freshmen, you tend to sort of see decreasing returns across the course of, of, of a, you know, the stretch you put them in the game. When they come in, they're fresh, they're excited, their blood's up, they're playing hard. And then as time goes by, they get a little tired, the game starts to overwhelm them. They, and I'm rambling here, forgive me, but they, they, they sort of, you know, basically the game starts to kind of get to be too much for them and you pull them back out. Caleb Banks grew into games. Mm -hmm. He got better the longer he was on the floor. And that, to me, is a really important and tangible quality as you are trying to polish his various skills. And so there's part of this, too, especially with a player like Banks. I think we can look at C.J. Gunn and kind of say he's a one, he's a, he's a two, that you want to teach to maybe do some some stuff as a one because you always want to be able to maybe, you know, run the offense through your off guard at times and things like that. And I think he showed some ball handling ability, some ability to use ball screens this season, encouraging signs. But with Banks in particular, um, you also, I also just kind of wonder, like, what if Mike Woodson has to pick a spot on the floor for him? What is the ideal spot in Woodson's mind? And that's the other thing we just don't know. Yeah. And so I think that some of those players can factor in. Um, you know, I think that you know your, your Trey Galloways and you know even your Anthony Leals and, and and you know who you didn't bring up there at the beginning. It's just that we don't have the the bulk of evidence to really be able to sure. say other than maybe Trey Galloway. This is what they can be reasonably relied upon to do. Well, and don't misinterpret me, audience members, in terms of, look, IU certainly I think would have liked to have 
closed off their portal business as early as possible, gotten those players in, and called it a day. A, I think that the coaching staff is, is you know became conscious of when they weren't getting certain players and and had other options. Like the idea that the coaching staff went in saying, well, gosh, if we don't get those two guys, I don't know what we're going to do, seems not realistic. And I also think that it felt like there was so much, there were so many leaks or or, or quasi-leaks about what Indiana was doing and who they were interested in that, you know, that's really gone away since – the the initial talk about things in March and early April was happening. It almost feels like there's not a lot of info out there about who I use targeting. We've heard a couple of names. But I think this coaching staff is pretty certain about who they'd like to add, what type of player. And, you know, Zach, as we've talked about on various podcasts, this is a longer process than most people think. It's not a, oh, we have to sign everybody within the first two weeks. I mean, the portal's got – Almost a month left, right? What is it? Three weeks. Well, yeah. So, so it's May eleventh is the deadline to be in the portal. Right now, you can you can like commit out of the portal. I think pretty much whenever you want, I believe. But for non grad transfers, May eleventh is the deadline to go into the now. Grad transfers can go in whenever they are not beholden to that deadline. But May eleventh is the deadline if you want to be in the portal to be recruited for this this yeah. this period. And that kind of comes on to something I want to talk about, which is the shifting nature of how this period in the calendar works. Right. Well, because there's a couple of things at play. There's, you know, you've still got players who are looking for opportunities. And whatever we might be told about how college sports is supposed to work, realistically, you've got intermediates and representatives who are able to communicate to players who might be on the fence about being in the portal, hey, there's a starting a starting three or a starting four or whatever uh, at, at this school that could be potentially a top 25 or better program. Is that something that would be of interest to you? And, you know, you'll see names. I mean, Kentucky just did what appeared to be some kind of roster call, what earlier or late, late last week, I think it was, where like nobody had entered the portal from Kentucky and then three players were suddenly in the portal. So you're still seeing some of those things take place. It does change the way that you're trying to construct rosters. And, it is a really fascinating process because now you can't say for sure that you're anywhere close to your roster being ready, even if you think it is, because you might see one of your own players get enticed to go somewhere else unofficially, and then suddenly they're in the portal and you're starting over with a reconceptualization of what your roster might look like. So that's where, you know, I think with Indiana, it feels like a lot of the the tendency's been towards panic, and certainly I would have liked to have seen Indiana just grab those two players and theoretically move on. But there's no assurance that if they'd done that, that the roster might not have shifted some more in the next couple of weeks as players got closer to that deadline period. I mean, wasn't it the end of May last year before we really felt like we had a pretty good handle on what the Indiana roster was going to look like? I mean, didn't I think it took that long for Geronimo to announce that he was coming back? Maybe I'm miss. I mean, we certainly, yeah, the, yeah. I, I don't remember exactly when Geronimo came back. We were obviously waiting until the combine with Trace Jackson Davis. Yep. Um, I think Race Thompson may have announced he was coming back before then, if I remember correctly. Um, but your point is is well taken. And I think the other part of this, you know, you mentioned the fact that, like, there are players that are in the draft process right now. And they're going to, just by the nature of that process, find out that, you know, they're, they're, maybe they even probably know to some extent the NBA is going to tell them a certain thing. And they're going to say, OK, well, fair enough. And But, you know, essentially they, they entered was, the draft 
It was May 20th last year when okay. TJD announced on TikTok that, yeah, that he was that, coming that back. Sounds, I mean, yeah, that sounds that that's, sounds right. That's almost that was, a like month I said, from it was around now. the combine and yeah. he couldn't he couldn't participate because he tested positive. Yep. Um the the other part of this is and and the example you mentioned is a good one. You know, there's players that are in the NBA draft process who probably know they're not going to stay in the NBA draft, but they don't intend to go back to whatever school they declared out of. They just haven't entered the portal yet. They're doing the draft process first, and then they're going to enter the portal, you know, pr- excuse me, presuming they pull out of the draft. Um, it goes back to this sort of more fundamental thing, which is, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, if you went into the spring with needs, it was usually a bad time to go in with needs. Every once in a while, obviously, you know, to use Indiana as an example, there would be a a, a, a Thomas Bryant, you know, somewhere around there. Purdue got John Octius, who wound up being a, a really nice piece for them as a spring transfer. Um, but, you know, the the as much as we talked about the transfer epidemic – the reality is that the the number of kids that were going to transfer up or transfer at the same level, sort of like what Max Bielfeld did, you know, as grad transfers, so transfers that would be immediately eligible, wasn't that many. It wasn't it wasn't a huge number. Right. And therefore the the level of transfer that a program like Indiana would target was that was a small pool. And then there was sort of this there was this high school pool of kids that were either had stayed open till the spring, had maybe had a surprisingly good senior year, had maybe were the victim of a coaching change somewhere. Um, and those players, you know, th- that would be sort of a, a essentially— Tamar, Tamar a, Bates being an example. Yeah, yeah, Tamar Bates, Malik Renew. And that would be a, a sort of finite and defined talent pool. Once players started coming out of that, they weren't going to be replaced. The portal— is this constantly sort of changing and evolving thing. And, you know, I, I mean, like I think Tyron Lawrence from Vanderbilt, and I'm not saying Indi- – I, I don't know if Indiana's involved with them or not, but Tyron Lawrence, who if he'd been in the portal, the first day he'd go in the portal, Indiana fans would have looked at and said, two guard, shot 36 37% from three, can get to the rim, played in the SEC last year for a decent team, for a Vanderbilt team that was what, in the NIT? Yeah. Um, that's the kind of player Indiana needs to target. Well – he wasn't even in the portal until this week. Right. So it's – and again, you're going to get players – Cormac Ryan, I believe, had declared for the draft. And again, I think he's probably – I don't want to speak for him. I will put words in his mouth. I'm guessing, though, that he was probably the sort of player that went into the draft thinking, I'm going to do the NBA process. I'm going to take some experience out of that. But then I'm going to transfer. And he always knew that was the end result. The point is, you've kind of got this thing where, on the one hand, suddenly your spring can be a lot busier, and there's more of an opportunity from a roster-building perspective, if you're a program like Indiana, to look at last year's team and say, we're okay being really senior-heavy in last year's team because we have so much wider of an avenue to rebuilding our roster through the portal than what would have been available to us five, seven, eight years ago. On the other hand, it keeps you a lot busier, and... For better or for worse, you know you're 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 constantly in that that old parable about the uh, the Zen master and the little boy, where it's like, oh, this is great, we'll see. Well, this is terrible, well, we'll see. You know, you can you can pick up a kid and think 
that's a great addition. He fills a hole for us. And then that that prompts a kid that you don't want to lose to say, I don't want to stay here anymore. I'm not going to get the minutes. I'm going. And you say, well, wait, how terrible. Yeah. And then you say, well, we'll see. The point is the portal is ever evolving. Yep. And it's kind of about how you adapt to it as much as how you plan for it to begin with. And, you know, you hear a lot of complaints. It's one of the funny things about, I think, coverage of college basketball in particular is that most of what we hear in college basketball reporting is what coaches are saying because that's always been the the primary information source. And, and you understand why because they're the only real stable part of programs. Coaches hate this by and large because you're, they should be playing golf or, 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 or getting knee surgery during this time period, not – Dealing with what's my roster going to look like six months from now? And yet, you know, I think a lot of programs have really embraced this as a chance to do things that they could never do before. Because as you said, the ability to improve your roster is so much greater now than it used to be. But there are some pitfalls that come with that. I'm really fascinated always by the process through which this kind of thing becomes more institutionalized because I'm sure there'll be some changes as time goes by. This almost feels, I hate the wild west metaphor, but it kind of feels like that right now because no one's really sure the best way to manage this and trying to build for the future while dealing with what you've got available now and never really fully knowing a lot of times until a player announces that they're in the portal what is possible and what is not possible does make for some really interesting times. I think for IU fans out there listening, I guess the one thing that I would message you on is don't assume. I mean, certainly, as you said, I think that the coaching staff would have liked to have had Ledlum and Connect. But don't assume that because they didn't that they failed. Uh, you know, it's there are there are a lot of good programs out there. Uh, there are a lot of programs wanted Kalel Ware, and I, you got that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you failed when you don't get all of your targets. It also doesn't mean that a better target or a better solution for how you want to set your program up isn't going to pop up a little bit later on coming from somewhere else that you weren't anticipating. Uh, and and that's that might sound too rosy or too sunshiny, but realistically, I think that's – you're going to drive yourself nuts as a fan – if every time IU doesn't get a player that they get mentioned as adjacent to or looking at in the portal, uh, th- that they don't get. I mean, if you if you interpret that every time that happens as failure, you're you're almost being too negative. I think uh, in t- in terms of how you're looking uh, yeah, at how this I mean, works in a whole. Listen, that's just like one of the vagaries of recruiting. It is, is is that when you you know especially in a sport like basketball where the you know quantity is never going to be very high. You're always going to, you know, when, when Indiana landed Kalel Ware, it was, wow, we couldn't see life after Trace Jackson Davis, but here comes this seven-footer with good feet and great hands, and he might be able to shoot threes, and, you know, people talk about he needs to unlock his motor a little bit more. Well, that's the same thing we were saying about Trace Jackson Davis, and look what Mike Woodson did. Imagine when he could be. He could be a lottery pick. And you sort of think, like, you know, it, it's almost this this feeling of, like, I will never be sad again. And then you have like a Chris Ledlam where it's like, oh yeah, he was the second leading scorer and the leading rebounder in 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 the uh, in the Ivy League last year, and he's a good spot up three point shooter, and he's the kind of wing that we haven't had in a long time. He can beat a man off the dribble, and he scores in volume, and yada yada yada. And this is going to be great. And then he goes to Tennessee, and you'll be like, I will never be happy again. Right. Like there's there's always an element of that with recruiting. I think it is almost magnified with the portal because. Number one, portal recruiting happens so much faster. It has right. to just by the nature of, of the thing. And number two, you have these sort of 
you have these periods in the cycle where a coach and his staff will have said, our plan is to hammer the portal. We've got great NIL opportunities. We got a ton of minutes to, to spread around. You know, we want to maybe, you know, remake some things personnel wise now that we've got some of these spots open. Okay, well, you know, then you're going to go into an offseason and say, this is the sort of, you know, we, we said last offseason, Indiana doesn't need to go crazy in the portal. If these kids come back, Indiana doesn't need to go crazy in the portal. They've got good options, and they added Malik Renew in the spring, and it was like, okay, so there's some depth, and that that strengthens a good freshman class, and yada, yada, yada. We said coming into this season, and Indiana was hardly the only, I mean, Tennessee, which took two of Indiana's targets off the board, was another one that I think intentionally, you know, built its 12, 18, 24-month plan around in spring 2023, we will be very active in the portal and we need to be prepared for that. But I think your point is valid in that. And again, this goes back to the idea that the portal is something that is always evolving. It's it, someone else may pop in. You didn't expect Kalel Ware wasn't, I mean, when Kalel Ware went in the portal, Indiana was being connected to like Caden Shedrick and a handful of other players of similar profiles. But you know, there was, there wasn't it, it, when, when Kalel Ware went into the portal, the immediate, sort of rumor that went around college basketball, if I can pull back the curtain very briefly, was Duke. And then, you know, by the time Indiana was more seriously involved, as you said, Alabama was one of the, it was kind of the other team that seemed to be getting a lot of mention. Um, Things change quickly Mm -hmm. in in every sense in the portal. And so I think that it, it, it feels more perilous because you have less time, you have more needs and you're never quite sure exactly when basically the musical chairs, you know, it, it, it's almost this game of musical chairs and you're never quite sure when your chair will be pulled away yeah. and you won't have an op- opportunity to sit back down. But it's also kind of this reminder that while the music is still playing, chairs may be added too, and you may have opportunities you didn't expect before. Two other things I'll say on this. There are hot button players in the portal every year that, get mentioned as that's a player that IU needs to get or that's a player that anybody would like to get. I remember one that sticks out because he's an Indiana kid was uh, he started his career at Ohio and then he transferred to Evansville, played there for two years and was like a real hot commodity coming out of Evansville because he shot 42% from three. Is who it was this? Ryan Taylor who yes, yes. transferred to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, well, that's a big miss that Indiana didn't get Ryan Taylor. And he was – Really not great at Northwestern. He had a very nondescript final year uh, where he didn't play. You know, he played a decent amount of minutes, but just didn't score. I'd also remind people that two players that I think people would have freaked out in a negative way over Indiana deciding to go get ended up powering Penn State's run through the Big Ten tournament and into the tournament uh, NCAA tournament this year. One of them is Jalen Pickett. Played at Siena. And was fine at Siena, but you're talking about a Metro Atlantic conference that is at one of its lowest ebbs in history right now. The other one was Andrew Funk, who played at Bucknell. Uh, you know, the Patriot League is above maybe the maybe the Northeastern Conference in terms of overall hierarchy of, uh, among the Northeastern conferences. Bucknell was terrible the three years he was there. Never shot over 36% from three, goes to Penn State, and suddenly ends up being a major producer for them, both in minutes and in overall efficiency. So there's 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 going to be fits that won't look like fits on paper or might not be players that you consider to be, you know, at the level that IU needs to be at. 
And I'm sure the coaching staff is looking at options right now that would surprise people. And those options are out there. And, and that's where I would just caution some patience because there is time left. There's a lot of time left. It's not an immediate gratification thing. Even the teams that are signing players right now, you look at the total number of players that came through the portal last year. Not all of them made great contributions. And and making sure you get it right as a coaching staff and making sure that you're you're pulling in players that can only make a contribution and also fit in well with the culture that you're building becomes an important thing. And I think a lot of times, as with regular recruiting, people get hung up on the the rankings as opposed to getting hung up on what they're actually going to contribute to the mix. And that ends up being as big of a part of this as anything. The one thing I will say, and, and this isn't meant to just sort of tell people who are concerned that they their concerns are completely unfounded. I, I get why people are worried. I mm-hmm. Listen, I, I understand that. And I'm not sitting here promising anybody that Indiana is going to figure it out and find all the answers and be just fine next year. I think there's, you know, th- there still exists legitimate reason for doubt around Indiana's, let's say, 12-month outlook. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I think we, sh- we, we can say emphatically is, there are still some problems with that obvious solutions for Indiana. And, you know, maybe you uh, maybe you didn't expect, you know, a CJ gun to take a leap and he did. And that solves a problem or something or or maybe you did. Maybe, you know, maybe this was there was always a, a Caleb Banks plan around this season or whatever it is. And he was bought in from the beginning. And last season was just kind of an appetizer for him. And he knew that this year was the year that he was really going to get thrown into a full throw, whatever. The point is, Indiana still does have some work to do. They need to add some shooting. They need to add some length in, I think, the two and the three positions. Um, they're probably about as front court heavy as I would argue they they need to be. Maybe you could get one more body, but I think that would be sort of like a, you know, a, a third scholarship remaining kind of situation. They need to get clarity on Xavier Johnson because that really throws a, a, a wrench into the works yeah. if he can't get his sixth year. Um, this isn't meant to say that Indiana is Indiana's work is done, and this isn't meant to say that Indiana is um, is going to figure it all out no problem. It is just simply to say that the sky has not fallen, which I think is sort of where some people landed yes. late last week after seeing a couple of these players off the board. Yeah, that's the th- that's all I'm cautioning. I mean, look, if we get to the beginning of June. And all of the questions that exist now still exist. I'll be like, wow, there's some real problems. But going back to what I said earlier, this is such an uncertain environment. Uh, it, it, it is it is terra incognita for college basketball. And there's, there's a bunch of different routes between here and the beginning of the next season. And we're not all the way down the road yet on any of those routes. And so I think ultimately – if you you know by all means you can be disappointed that IU didn't close the deal on a couple of, of people that they wanted in a portal i have chosen to look at it and say well there's a lot of potential solutions out there and probably solutions that haven't been thought of or even mentioned yet i think that's a more healthy way of approaching things than just assuming that the sky is falling and then trying to put the pieces back into the sky once you find out that they're not but you know, your mileage may vary. Whatever whatever, whatever makes you happy during this time period, uh, much like you, I get to April, I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's just chill a little bit in terms of thinking about what's going to happen with both basketball and football, and, and let's let the pieces kind of fall into place because there's stuff going on behind the scenes with this whole process that 
do not play out publicly that are just as important as the parts that do play out publicly. We'll leave it there for now. Um, sorry it's been so long since we podcasted. We will have a, a, a special podcast, uh, completely unrelated, I promise, to the transfer portal later this week. Uh, but between – I'll leave you in the dark on that for now. Don't, don't get too excited. But Ominous. I, I think it's going to be fun. Um, until then, for the Indianapolis Star, the Bloomington Herald Times, thank you, Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast, for joining us, producing, talking, uh, generally existing on in our our, our pod dimension. Uh, this has been Mind Your Banners. I am Zach Osterman. We will talk to you soon.